you are our God. And there is none like you. You are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of King David, Solomon, of all the prophets. You are the God of the apostles, the martyrs. You are our God. And Lord, we have gathered here this morning to lift up the name of Jesus. To adore him. To recognize his rightful place in this world and in our lives. We have come to confess our sins. And to align our lives with the gospel. In all your commandments, in your statutes. We have come, Lord, to be assured of your faithfulness. So, Father, by your Spirit, would you encourage us and meet with us? And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. My friends, would you stand? As we read scripture together and as we are called into worship. The prophet Isaiah says this. It will be said on that day. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. Isn't that strange? And that's how I'm feeling. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Amen? Amen. 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 Brothers and sisters, let's take a moment right now to confess our sins. According to Deuteronomy chapter 10, Moses said this, And now Israel... What does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you for your good? Brothers and sisters, we know not only during COVID, but even during this past week, we have not been faithful. We have broken God's commandments. We have not loved him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. On top of that, we have not even loved our neighbor as we love ourselves. So let's take a moment right now, quietly. If, if you're a person that would like to kneel, you may kneel. Or right in this place, standing. Let's take a moment to quietly confess our sins before God.
There has not been any changing in your character. There has never been a change in your motives. But Lord, we are a changing people. Our affections change moment by moment. Our affections for your word, our affections for your direction in our life. Lord, we, we often want to be godlike and we often want to be in control, but Lord, help us to trust you. And we confess, Lord, that you alone are God. You are the creator and we are your creation. And we can pray these words knowing, Lord, that you are faithful and you, when we come to you, and confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just to forgive us from all of our unrighteousness. And for that, we thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The writer in Hebrews chapter 10 says this, For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins. How much? No, no more. So my friends, this should offer you great peace, hope for today and for tomorrow, knowing that our God is good. So may the peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. So let's take a moment right where you're at, point at people, love some people, offer the peace of Christ to one another.
brilliantly that men, women, and children will come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray to you, Lord, for this community, for Manhattan, Illinois. Lord, you have placed us on this corner at 360 South Park for a purpose. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to that purpose of showing the light of Christ to men and women all around us. May our hospitality, our actions, and our words show Jesus Christ. Tell about Jesus Christ. May we call men and women to faith in Jesus Christ. So, Lord Jesus, would you hear our prayers? Would you answer them in a way that best glorifies you and builds up your church? And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, would you grab your Bible that hopefully you have brought along? And we are going to be in week four, and therefore chapter four, of Daniel uh, the prophet. And this week, we are going to uh, be blessed with uh, another hefty reading from the book of Daniel. And he is, we are finding during this time that Daniel is going to be given a challenge again about interpreting a dream. So would you stand for uh, the reading of God's word? And uh, before we read, we are going to ask for God's help and his blessing as we read his word together. Would you please stand if you are able? Lord, we have offered to you the worship of our lives, and now we come to you in these moments where we expect to hear from you, to speak to us through your, your living word, using the voice of, of mere men. So God, knowing the, the depths of our the needs of our lives and the power of your truth, Lord, would you come near to us now? We pray that we may encounter you, the living God, and we pray this in the name of Jesus, your Son. Amen. The word of Christ speaks to us in Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. I lay, As I lay in my bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they make known to me the interpretation of the dream. 
Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he whose name was Belshazzar, after the name of my God, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were, were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its, its height was great. The tree grew and became strong. Its top reached to the heaven and was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the vision, visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the trees from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by decree of the watchers, and the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is with you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that it was its top reached to the heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit was abundant, and in which all food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and whose branches the birds of the heaven lived, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king was a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. 
It is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the fields. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it is commanded to leave the stump of the root of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my might, mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the mouth, the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my return, reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all of his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And John, I'm going to ask you to take this and plug it into the back. As it's already telling me, I am low on battery. Welcome to live stream. So in 1964, a 22-year-old young man stepped into the boxing ring. And he was a seven or eight to one underdog, but this guy was absolutely confident. 
He was cocky. He was pompous. He was confident considering that he was going up against the heavyweight champion of the world at that point. In fact, he was so confident, he declared in the weeks leading up to the fight that he would float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. Who was this man? Well, what was his real name? Cassius Clay, better known as, throw it up there for me, Rachel, Muhammad Ali. And Clay's opponent was known as the heavyweight champion Charles Sonny Liston. The winner of 35 of 36 professional bouts and one of the most intimidating athletes at that time. And yet, after six rounds, it was over. The underdog had won. Cassius Clay, at the end of that round, danced around the ring in celebration, pointing at all of the sports writers in the crowd and repeatedly shouting this. I'm the king of the world. I'm pretty. I'm a bad man. I shook up the world. I shook up the world. I shook up the world. He was up there with just great confidence, adrenaline just rushing through his body. And we know that our athletes today tend to exaggerate their importance, tend to exaggerate their greatness. And when they do, we tend to just smile and just go, you cocky boy. You cocky woman, you think that you are the greatest, the greatest ones here, after they do these amazing feats. But when others, when other forces outside scream out to us that I am the king of the world or king of your world, suddenly we don't smile much longer. We find ourselves put in a place. Instead, we... We know the anxiety, we know the fear, we know the dismay that comes from someone or something else outside of us claiming to be our king. And for some of us, it is our workplace. It, uh, when our bosses find, uh, demand the impossible work week, week after week after week, they, they, they demand a, a ridiculous maybe travel schedule that takes us away from our family, our church, our lives, and they implicitly threat, threaten us that if we refuse to do this, we will lose our jobs. And in doing this, our, our bosses tend to act as though they are the true kings of the world. Or it might be, for others, it might be illness. Maybe it was when a child is in the hospital, diagnosed, and has all kinds of tubes and wires and monitors, and we hear the doctor's diagnosis and their prognosis. Fear and anxiety also hit us hard. As a result, it tends to dominate our days, turning into weeks, and it feels like, in some ways, a death march. And in the midst of these our tears that we may have, we begin to wonder whether or not sickness is the true king of our world. For others, the devil himself opposes and accuses us. He knows our particular weak point. He knows which particular sin we wrestle with and we struggle with, and sometimes we, we are able to win the day successfully and other times not so successfully. At points, he, he is there needling us and prodding us and tempting us so that we falter over and over and over again. 
And we begin to wonder, is the devil truly the true king of my world? These powers and forces and circumstances and spiritual opponents are very real. But let's make it clear. The pain, fear, and anxiety that we often fear have, that the thought that these things are truly a reality, challenge us to the very core of our being. We can't rationalize away or minimize these things. Our hearts cry out, are these things truly, truly the ultimate reality? Are these forces, powers, or circumstances really the king of my life? Or is there another one who is outside of us who is truly the king of the world, the true king of the world? And certainly Israel knew what it felt like in this moment. For them, there was this great and mighty power, Babylon, who was headed by a king who was truly known as the king of the known world. At this point, Nebuchadnezzar had ruled a territory from the modern-day uh, border of Iraq west through, uh, or sorry, modern-day Iran through Iraq, north through modern-day Turkey, south all the way to Palestine, even down to Egypt, this one man ruled most of the known world, stretching through the Mediterranean Sea to the Persian Gulf for 43 years. He was the king of the known world. And moreover, this mighty guy was impressive, but he was utterly pagan. In Israel's eyes, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians were violent, they were vicious idolaters, they represented wickedness and evil to, to the godly believers. They were the uncircumcised who did not know the true God of Israel. They did not obey the law of God, and yet this pagan king destroyed Israel by dividing the kingdom. They destroyed the holy city and destroyed the holy temple. And in doing so, it appeared that Nebuchadnezzar triumphed. Not only did he triumph over Israel's rulers, human rulers, it appeared as if Nebuchadnezzar had triumphed over the God of Israel. And Israel began to wonder, is Nebuchadnezzar the true king of the world. Is there, is there another king, a true king who is able to actually triumph over him, to humble and maybe even humiliate him? You remember, they are in exile at this point because of their sins. And God had sent this tyrant king to come and bring them into captivity. And they were feeling the pressure above and around and below them every day as people in captivity. And they began to wonder, is there a true king who can rescue us? So with these questions in mind, the words of Daniel Four must have trumped all of Israel's expectations. And in this chapter, we have a royal encyclical, a, a letter that is sent around to all the people uh, from this pagan king. 
who utterly destroyed Israel, took them into captivity, and worshipped pagan gods, in which he admits that he is not, in fact, the true king of the world. Rather, he acknowledges that the God of Israel, the God of the church, is the king, the one to whom we know God revealed as Jesus Christ. But from the opening of our text, we hear this strange hymn of Nebuchadnezzar. He, he's, it starts in, in uh, verse 2. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God had done for me. How great are His signs! How mighty are His wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. Don't miss these words. These are the words not coming from Israel's King David. It's not coming from Solomon. It's not coming from Josiah. It's not coming from Hezekiah. It is coming from the pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples and nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. He is sending it out, saying, this, this is who this true God is. This pagan king had come to bow his knee to Israel's God. And he did so by singing a hymn of praise. Now, careful readers of Daniel to this point should expect that Israel's God should be shown as the powerful God. But the way that it happens in this chapter is kind of confusing and confounding. The way it happened moves us from Nebuchadnezzar's strange hymn to his strange dream. And once again, Daniel is brought into the forefront to share a dream and its interpretation. So when Daniel came to hear the dream, he discovered that th this dream centered on a huge tree that grew and became strong and reached all the way to the heaven and all the beasts of the field would, would be in its shade, and the birds would all hang out in its branches, and on top of that, it would produce a great amount of fruit where everybody would be able to be fed. This was an amazing tree. But then there was a voice that called out, and it's a brutal voice, chop down the tree. Chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip all of its leaves, scatter its fruit. Only a stump was to remain. And the words of judgment were declared. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from man's and let the beast mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. So in response to this, Daniel found himself in a really awkward situation, right? Because he knew this meant judgment was coming from God. This wasn't a pronouncement of blessing. When you lop something off at its, at its base, that means judgment. And not only lopping it off at the base, it's taking all the branches out, taking all the leaves off, scattering all of its fruit. This tree, Daniel said, is you, Nebuchadnezzar. You are the one who has grown strong and 
uh, grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to the heaven, your dominion to the end of the earth. And it was true. He was the no king of the known world at that time. But the decree of heaven was that Nebuchadnezzar was going to be driven away from humankind and he was going to become like an animal. Why? What is the purpose in this judgment? Why, why was it decreed this way? Ultimately, it is so that you may know that the Most High rules rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Essentially, God was telling Nebuchadnezzar, do you think you are the true king of the world? Let me tell you another thing. You must know that I rule the world. You are not the true king. And once you acknowledge Nebuchadnezzar, the true king, then you will gain your sanity back. And isn't that true of us? We tend to lose our sanity when we are allowing other rulers to rule our world. We lose our sanity. But let's stay here. It was a strange dream. It had a strange meaning. But evidently, Nebuchadnezzar forgot about it. He forgot about this dream. And because a year later, everything that God had just said happened. One night, Nebuchadnezzar was out for a stroll out on his veranda, looking over maybe the hanging gardens of Babylon, looking over and just seeing the sunset over the city that he has built with his workers, his slave force. And he was just admiring everything. And what did he say to himself? Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Considering Nebuchadnezzar's previous experience with the Most High God in chapters 1, 2, and 3, you would think that he would have learned his lesson. But he has forgotten it. In the midst of him, just it was just coming out of his mouth. So it tells you that God even knows the thoughts of your mind, the, the actions of, that are still in your heart that are ready to be working out. As the words were coming out of his mouth, God shouted judgment from heaven. And in that moment, he lost his sanity. He was driven from among men, and he ate grass like an ox. It was not a salad. He ate like an ox. If you have ever seen a cow eat, they have amazing tongues that wrap around grass. He ate like an ox from the ground. Nebuchadnezzar continued in that condition. And my friends, this is not a, a fable. This is not a fairy tale. This is reality. This is the word of God. He stayed in this condition until he finally lifted up his eyes and acknowledged who is the true king of heaven. And in that moment, his sanity was restored. And the first thing that he did was to praise and honor him who lives forever. He sang another song of praise to Israel's God, highlighting the true 
the true rule and the true kingship of that God. And you can see that in verses 34 and 35, right? For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done?